they need to know that early on. Like you're a part of a culture that we want to be the absolute best in the industry when it comes to this. Now, for us to be the best, we have to take risks. Life experiences that are tangled in leadership. This is the 2120 Podcast. You know, we're just two guys that started a podcast over coffee, talking about some of the things that we learned through leadership and business. And we decided to make a show about it, bringing you the insights and experiences that you can apply in your work and in your relationships. But we're so glad you're here because passing life lessons on is a gift we can all benefit from. So I have a a picture on my phone. I like to save memes and sayings and and I really liked this one. So I save it because I might build this into training or it just reminds me to talk about this with people. It is a quote about culture. It's called the principle of the day. And it says, create a culture in which it's okay to make mistakes and unacceptable not to learn from them. So the question that I would say here is, how do you know if you have a culture where it's okay to make mistakes? What would be the signs of a workplace culture where, you know, listen, mistakes are part of who we are here versus uh, it's not okay. And then we can talk about the second part. Well, I think it is a, like the feeling in the store is different or the feeling in the, the business is different because people are not worried about screwing up. I think people are willing to, you know, you have to, like they need to know that early on. Like you're a part of a culture that we want to be the absolute best in the industry when it comes to this. Now, for us to be the best, we have to take risks and we have to know that we're always trying to be the best. We're pushing forward. But with every risk, there's always going to be the the option of, of failing. Sure. It's okay. <clears throat> take a risk. And if you fail, we learn from it. But make sure you have all the tools, all you know, the, the, the brightest minds, like we, we've, th- we've thought of every angle and then let's go, let's go for it. And then at the end of the day, we all learn something. We all, we all pulled together. Here was the, 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 the piece that we wanted to attack and we failed, but man, what, like how much did we learn from this? That next time we will be better because we already know why we failed. Yeah, and if you are in a culture where um, it's unacceptable unacceptable to make a mistake, you're not going to try things. You're not going to create a better experience for a customer. You're not going to uh, like. It's just going to limit what you're thinking about it. And, and I think it's a it's a way to squash innovation for sure, <clears throat> because somebody else is going to pass you by and you're always kind of playing a a catch up game at that point because, well, okay, somebody else did it. So they showed us that it was possible. Um, while you've had employees for the last two years saying we need to be doing this, this is a great idea. And yet there wasn't that it wasn't okay to try that because we might make a mistake and that mistake might hurt us. Well, there's, there's businesses that have the culture of saying no, they say no first. 
Like you come to me with an idea and say, Hey, I want to try this now. Probably not going to happen. Oh, this is a, this reminds me of a really powerful quote on feedback training. So I've been doing um, some, some training recently and we had the feedback module, which is just a reflective question. Is the feedback you're giving based, does it sound more like we can't do that or how can we do that? Because that's that growth mindset, closed mindset kind of conversation. It's the, oh, we don't want to make that mistake here kind of thing. So is the feedback that you're giving more on the negative or the positive? And it's a, it's a really strong reflection question for, you know, a manager to ask themselves. Yeah. I, th- I think it, it, majority of the time it can be negative because we don't intentionally want to be negative, but how we say something, it comes off negative. So, you know, taking a risk, you know, when like ordering products, man, we sold 10, I'll order 10 more. Cause I don't want to, like, I don't want to, I don't want to buy too many. I don't want to buy too many and have them left over. Cause I got in trouble for that before. Or yeah. I might get in trouble Instead for of it. going, man, wait, we, I bought 10 and we sold 10 right away. Maybe I, maybe I'll order 20 and, 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 and be there. <laughs> oh no, but I better order 10 because like, you don't want to be that guy that orders too many or that gal that, you know, does something wrong. And then like, it's, it's on you. We're taking a risk and going, man, like these sold literally in a week. My rate of sales through the roof. Like I need to order 40 or 50 of them and let's just, let's just blow them out. Yeah. And like too many times because they had their nose slapped one time in life for ordering wrong. They, they hesitate instead of going, no, like I'm a merchant. I want to, I want to attack this. I'm going to build an end cap. Like I sold every one of these in six days. Like let's go after this. And like, I'm getting excited thinking about what that looks like. But because of the leader that had them said, no, you made a mistake last time you ordered, don't do that. Be conservative. Uh, maybe I'll order 10 mm-hmm. and just be safe. Mm-hmm. When you get the 10 in and they're gone in another six days, it's like, oh, crap, now I'm ordering another 10. Like you're, you're making, if you, if you want to talk time management, you are costing yourself time every day because next week you're placing another order. And then next week you're placing another order for the same stuff. Instead of placing one big order and going, you know what? I'm going to be good to go for the next two weeks. I used to work for that guy who was incredibly conservative. Now he sold, uh, we, we, we sold photography gear. And so we, you know, we were competing against at the time it was in the back of the photo magazines. You know, it was really before even the web took over, but there was an online presence. So we're just competing against them. And it was, they'd publish these mail in order prices. And it was like, it's below what we could sell it for. Right. So that was always a constant thing in the back of his mind. Sure. And then as the internet started to really influence how people were buying, we still had people that wanted to come buy local because they didn't trust them. They wanted to come to a store where they could get educated. They wanted to come to the store where there was experts that they could touch the camera. They could feel it. And the thing was, is the, the higher priced items, um, we tended to stock one, maybe two. And like the really high priced items, well, that was on order. That's a special order. That was, that was Dave's mentality. Mm-hmm. And I can remember working with customers that wanted to come in and see the new whiz bang flagship machine. Right. Yeah. And if that was in their budget and we didn't have it, well, they ended up buying it from Calumet or Adorama or B and H or wherever it was because they could get it. Uh, we lost sales because oh, of that. For sure. At the same time, Dave was incredibly fiscally responsible 
and never got himself he, because he was a guy that was like, we will never miss paying a bill. Like he was never late to paying Nikon, Canon, Sony, whoever we had at the time, right? He never, because that was a violation of his integrity. But he was so conservative, we probably could have doubled the amount of product we sold had we had it. And to me, that was a mistake. Yeah. Now, I don't know who's right. I trusted him because he'd been doing it. It was his money. It was his vision. It was his store. And I'm just a young guy who wants all, to sell the good stuff. Wants to sell the good stuff. Wants to, but you know, here's the thing. It's frustrating when you have to tell a customer, no, we don't have that. And we never really had training around why, you know, it was, it was more of like, well, don't question my decision on what to carry here. Uh, and so, you know, then at certain times of the year, we'd obviously we'd ramp up inventory heavier as fourth quarter. Sure. We got a product sale because people would just come in and they didn't really question it. They were just like, I need one of these today. Okay, let me get that ready for you, right? That's that's what it became. We weren't doing a whole lot of uh we weren't doing a whole lot of sales or like presentations and teaching and stuff. But um that that's what I remember about that kind of questioning that was like Dave didn't want to make the mistake. Well, sure. Like it's, it's his money. Absolutely. I, mean, it's, I, I, I have tons of respect for that from the standpoint of like, I'm paying the bills. I want to make sure we're profitable. We got to, we got to be conservative and we have to be careful. Um, you know, we, the, the one to show <laughs> one to go, you know, you have one on display and you have a box underneath the counter. Like, that was a phrase we said frequently. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's great. But then you sell one and now it's like, now we have a floor model. Then I come in and I want to buy one. And I go, oh, I don't want the floor they model. They don't want now. the floor model. And they expect a, in their head, a relatively significant discount because other people have touched, touched it. it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's behind glass. No, but people still touch it and they play with it. I don't want that one. And it's, I, I get it. I understand. Right, right. You know, when I was the bike manager, we sold a lot of high-end road bikes. Mm -hmm. We had multiple vendors. Um, this was during the Lance Armstrong peak where like everybody was on bikes riding. But we had the mentality that if we don't have high-end on the floor, we're not going to be able to sell high-end. Yeah. And the crazy thing was we sold a higher price point bike because we showed them high-end. You know, I showed a, you know, a guy a $12,000 Madone road bike that may be out of his price range. He took it for a spin, came back in like, holy crap, this thing is a rocket. So yeah. fun. But his price point in his head just raised up because, well, I can't buy a thousand dollar bike now. Show me that $1,500 one. So we upsold based on having something on the shelf that was higher end. Sure. But it's a risk. Now for me being stupid and like, this is not my money. Like this is, this is my company's money. No, like, no. For you, it was like, well, if we don't buy, sell that, then I'll buy it. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know you in a, in a perfect world. Yes. <laughs> but I, it wasn't my money being invested. Right. I was trying to make money for my company and be profitable and have the number one bike shop and this, 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 and this. So I never once, when I submitted an order to my supervisor going, man, I'm ordering three high end bikes. Like, you need to approve these because I'm going to sell them for you. Mm -hmm. But when you're your own business owner and it's, you're the one that I'm never going to miss a payment. I'm always going to be on time. I'm always going to do this. Oh, man, I would love to have that camera for you, Jim, but we need to make sure we're selling 
this, this, and this too. So in defense of Dave, um, Dave did that store for almost 30 years, or maybe it was over 30 years. It's, it, it just, um, the, uh, the closure of, of business last year really affected it. Right. And that wasn't the reason, but different story. I would just say I had a lot of respect for how he did run it. He understood who the majority of buyers were on, on a side note, best buy was right behind us. So people would go there and see prices on, you know, the, the beginner and consumer level product and then come to our store and we were 10 or $20 higher on it. Could we match it? Um, sometimes it just kind of depended. Um, uh, what we could do is we could teach them about it. We could, we could qualify for them that they were getting the right camera for what they said they wanted up at Best Buy. They didn't have a clue, right? They were just transaction. Yeah, we can, we take care of that for you. So we did have that, but, um, so maybe, maybe Dave had it really, really dialed in, um, because you don't do retail stores when you're a mom and pop shop like that in that competitive environment, in last three decades. Yeah. No, he actually was doing something right. Uh, yeah, for sure. Know. And but it was, and it was enjoyable experience to work there most of the time. It wasn't an awesome culture, but one of the values that Dave, that you, and you hit on it, um, you, you kind of described it was like this, you know, when I said he was unwilling to ever be late making a payment to Canon, to Nikon, to Sony, whoever it was, Minolta way back in the day, uh, that was a value. That was a core value to him that he would never compromise. And now where I'm at now in my life and what I do, I really think that we could have harnessed some of this and taught it and had employees celebrate it. And rather than seeing it for, for me as a 20 something salesperson who is like, man, I'm passionate about this stuff. I love this gear. I want this gear. I own some of this gear. I would have loved to, um, uh, probably been able to connect to the customer better and just say, yeah, here's why we don't carry these items. We just, we didn't have training around. So we, it was always kind of like we, I always felt like we had to apologize a little bit for it mm-hmm. because that's kind of what we heard others do. Well, I mean, I think of like being a business owner and it, like say it's, let's just talk bikes. So that's what I like to talk about. Like if, if I had my own bike shop and you were a bike salesman for me and you love selling high end bikes, you wanted to sell high end bikes I'm putting it on you a little bit. You know, we need to sell eggs and milk because those are going to be our go-tos. We're, <laughs> we're never going to be out right. of stock. We're going to have the right bikes, the hybrids, the comfort bikes in all sizes and in multiple colors because that's going to be truly our wheelhouse. But Jim, if you want to sell high-end stuff, sell more of the meat potatoes. Yeah. Like let's let's do this. And let's make some money, and then let's let's take some risks on some higher some higher end stuff. Like you just you just get more buy in. Like you you don't get to be pissed off that your boss won't bring in something high end when he's running a business. It's his money that's going into in, into the pot to, to make this happen. But that's an interesting thing that you just said. That you said, if I heard it right, you don't get to be upset at the boss if he won't bring in that stuff. But what if? 
you're continually telling him that we have clients asking for it. There's a little shift in it, right? So we, we had high end clients all the time. We had professionals that were like making a living, taking pictures. And one of the things that, um, you know, it was like the, the, the newspapers back in the day, right? And so not just in our local town, but it was in the region, people were calling us and getting quotes. Um, the other professionals that needed gear that was, you know, a hundred thousand dollars worth of gear for them was what it took to do business. When is it okay to be upset about that? Because my only thought is this, when you are at the, on the front line, you're the one that's taking, um, people's questions because they trust me as the associate, because I'm like, Dave could be a little abrasive with people. He could get, he could get a little tough. Um, they would be more willing to ask me, why won't he carry this? Like we need, you guys could sell a lot more of this stuff. I want, I've got four or five guys that I want to refer. The, the part that would be frustrating in that case for me was, was when to me, that's the second part of the statement here where it says it's unacceptable to not learn from them. Sure. So now I can be like, I would get upset with him because I'm telling him those things and it was just like, he didn't want to hear it. Well, then that's a, that's a different, it is, that's a different, a whole different ball game. Yeah. Like telling your boss, Hey, we need to stock this high end, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just not bought into it yet. Like we gotta, we gotta figure this out. You know, we gotta sell the, the bikes that we, or the cameras we already have in inventory. Like we gotta, we have product on the shelves. We have to sell first. Okay. That makes sense. Now another customer comes in, Hey, where's this high end camera? Where's this high end bike? Uh, you know, we just don't, we don't stock it. Like, there's going to come a point where you've told Dave or your boss 10 times that we've had just had 10 customers over the last two weeks that are looking for this. Let's order one. Mm -hmm. Let's take a risk and see, see what happens. And you know, like if you're, if you're truly good at what you do and you truly have your customers are coming in asking for this, you're going to sell that one because you're going to be able to call Steve, the customer and say, Hey, I got that camera in for you. There it is. And we never did that. Right. Dave would do that, but, but part of our training as a retail associate was more respond to when they walk in. We didn't have customers that we were taught to go and call. We didn't have like that never happened. We did have an outbound, um, sales approach for, um, you know, studios that were buying and and producing their own, like they were, they were buying bulk film. They were, processing their own film and their own pictures. So, so that was like, we sold a ton, a ton of Kodak product for that. But me as the retail associate, my job was to wait for people to walk in. It was never to go and, and, uh, make those connections. Like I had people that would come in that would want to just speak with me sure. as the associate. And if I wasn't there, they would come back another time that, and that was like, as again, a young guy, uh, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Right. The, well, you, the, you the bad, well, I guess the thing is though, is I never even knew I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't think to call them and be proactive and start asking them questions. No, I waited for them to come into the store. Could I get their phone number? Well, yeah, we had it on a card. This is Rolodex days, man. This is in the early nineties. We didn't have a, a, you know, a, a customer management system. So that came later and still that didn't change it when it was easy to email them, when it was easy to text or when it was easy to pick up the phone still. Uh, that was a piece that we were probably missing like business development almost like I would have been all over that. That would have been so fun. Well, it's right now. I mean, 
you think about our bike industry and we are struggling, our, our world's struggling to get bikes, you know, and we have, we're in the bike business. Like we want to have a, you know, our floor full of bikes. So when you come in, I have it in your size, your color, and it's the bike that you want. Mm-hmm. Now I have not your size, mm-hmm. maybe your color, <laughs> but it's not the bike you want. Yeah. So I've, I've challenged my guys and gals to do is get a notebook. And when you have a customer that comes in that wants a specific bike, write it all down, write their name, write their number. And then as soon as you see it come in, you call them and say, Hey, your bike just showed up. I have it right here. Instead of being frustrated with me, we can't get bikes right now. I have a customer that's would spend 1500 bucks right now. If we had this and getting pissed off because we can't get product like and to find out what they told him was like, well, check back. You know, we get a new truck on every Thursday or we yeah, get a shipment. You know, like, yeah. You're telling the customer to call you. Yeah. Like you do my job for me. <laughs> like just know that we get, we get shipments every week. You just you keep, keep checking back with us and send, instead of saying, nope, here's what I want to do. I'm going to take your name. I'm going to take your number. Yeah. I know exactly what you want. As soon as I see something show up, I'm calling you first. Yeah. And if I'm that customer and my phone rings and I look down and go, oh, it's Shields. My bike's in like you're the positive of like, I've been looking everywhere. I still can't find it, but they just found it for me. Like you just won me over as a customer mm-hmm. because I, because I knew shopping with you that the bike industry is tight right now. I know that I might not be able to get a, the bike that I want right now. And my phone rings and it's so-and-so at Shields saying, Hey, your bike just showed up. All right, here's my credit card. I'm coming in. Yeah. And, and you know what? They weren't just hoping to find it from shields that they've been probably dialing they're, other places they're everywhere trying to find it because right? we, we are good from the standpoint of telling our customers we are having problems this year. Yeah. If you see a bike that you love somewhere else, I want you to buy it because there's a chance you might not be able to get it. Right. But know that I'm going to work for you. Know that I'm going to keep my eye out for that bike to show up. And when it does, I am calling and then it's yours. Yeah. Like that is a, that is a major win but don't allow the customer to have to do your job. Like that's a level of service that a customer should just get out of the gate. When you say, you know what? I got you. I'm going to find you a bike. Let's go from there. And then literally a, a week later, a month later, six months later, the bike shows up. Hey, it's Matt Shields. Are you still looking for a bike? Well, yeah, I am. I have one for you. Holy crap. Awesome. Yeah. I'm ready to go now. And the worst case is, is they say, no, you know what? I actually found one last week. Oh man, I really wanted to give it to you guys, but you know, thanks for calling. Well, then you go to your next list because there's probably Absolutely. somebody right there. Yep. Or literally put it on the shelf and it's gone and <laughs> it's gone in 10 minutes. But yeah, it's man, just something simple, something easy, having a notepad in your back pocket and just take name and number and I'll call you as soon as I see something and, and go from there. And, um, and the, the value of that, you know, from that return customer is huge because like you just, you just proved to them that I said I was going to do this. If I can find you a bike, I'll call you. And then I'm calling. Yeah. Well, and I, it just comes down to, um, training, right. And emphasizing things like that and letting people know, because what's easy to do is easy not to do. Exactly right. All right. It's in there. All right. I'm Jim. I'm Matt. We'll catch you next time. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the 2120 podcast. Hey everyone, this is Jim. And Matt and I want to ask you for a favor. If you've gotten something out of these conversations, if you've been entertained, or maybe you've learned something valuable that will help you improve or your business improve, then the best way to pay us back is to like this podcast, 
give us a review and let others know about it. And that will help fuel our fire to keep going and keep bringing you awesome content. We'll see you next time.